The show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. I'm glad you're taking some time away from election news and pandemic news to, uh, to listen to our show. We love making it. We love all of our actors who bring their incredible talent to these reads and who do them just for the love of performing. And we love all of our writers who are out there getting in the game, getting knocked down and getting back up again. You know, I've, uh, I've been making uh, the rounds of some Zoom pitch rooms lately with a couple of projects. And I was like, do I mention that on the show? You know, what if these things don't sell? And then I realized that I hate that mindset. I hate that. It's against everything that Dead Pilot Society stands for. Like there's some horrible shame in not selling things. The only shame is in giving up. So we'll see. I'll let you know either way. Uh, Our pilot this time is Widow by Lila Cohan Michio. It's a comedy about a woman whose husband dies at the worst possible moment in their relationship and how she moves forward from there. So the story of what happened to this pilot is a pretty hard luck story, even by Dead Pilot Society standards. But it's a great story of perseverance. So I hope you'll stick around after the read uh, and listen to my interview with Lila, who's great and who has written on such shows as Awkward, Santa Clarita Diet special, uh, as well as the upcoming Netflix Shondaland show, Bridgerton. So we, of course, had to record this table read over Zoom uh, instead of live in front of an audience. But one of the advantages of these Zoom reads, if there is one, um, is that we have the visuals, too. We have the video. And if you want to see the people doing the acting, just become a Max Fun member for just $5 a month and you'll get access to the video and all of our bonus content from past years. So go to MaximumFun.org and see. Uh, It's pretty easy to just become a member for five bucks a month. Uh, And you'll want to see our cast because our cast for this pilot was Darcy Carden uh, from The Good Place as Rachel. Corey Michael Smith from Gotham as Jake. Arturo Del Puerto from For All Mankind as Emmett, Poonam Patel from I Feel Bad and Special as Daisy, Julia Duffy, Emmy winner from Newhart as Wendy, Catherine Kavari from Big Little Lies as Hannah, Sandeep Parikh uh, from Legend of Neil and also the writer of uh, last month's episode, as Levi as well as the Uber driver and George, and Eric Edelstein, from Jurassic World and Hoops as Miles and Officer Number One. Um, so here is Widow by Lila Cohan Michio after a brief message. 
Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight. A great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. This is Widow, written by Lila Kohan Michio. We fade in. We're interior Rachel and Jake's house. It's afternoon. A smallish but lovely house in Boston. There's a kitchen filled with the fancy small appliances you get when you get married. A cozy living room with a big couch with lots of throw pillows and blankets and a coffee table full of books. In the bedroom, a frame wall covered with photos of a cute couple. These are Rachel, whip smart but can never quite get out of her own way, and Jake, constantly devoting about a quarter of his brain to worrying. We focus in on a few of the photos. There's Rachel and Jake at 22, dressed as Bono in the Edge for Halloween. There's Rachel and Jake at 26, holding hands and inexplicably balloons in a field for their engagement photos. There's Rachel and Jake at 27, looking blissful in their wedding photos. We pan over to the bed and there's Rachel and Jake, now 32. Jake is sprawled back on the bed as Rachel, on the floor, gives him a wildly unenthusiastic blowjob. Neither are enjoying this. It feels so good. Rachel has her phone next to her right knee and is typing a text. She hits send and refocuses a little on the task at hand before her phone buzzes. She slides the screen to read it and despite herself, laughs a little. Jake sits up. Rachel tries to move her phone, but she's too slow. Are you texting? Don't worry about it. What the fuck, Rachel? You know, for someone who always says he wants a threesome, you are being really lame about this. Jake pulls his boxers back on. If you don't want to do this, don't do me any favors. Jake walks into the kitchen. Rachel sighs, realizes this fight is definitely happening, and follows him into the kitchen. It's not that I don't want to. I totally do. It's just that Daisy's having a crisis, and I'm really worried about her. And Let me see that. Okay. Uh, But do you think the red one is too sexy for a wedding? I have a black dress, too, but IDK, that feels morbid. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why you'd be concerned. Jake angrily starts dumping fruit into a blender. Jake, come on. I'm sorry, okay? Are you really making a smoothie right now? I went for a long run this morning. All right, I need to refuel. Jake, come on. I I know you can hear me. The blender isn't that loud. Listen, I'm sorry. Maybe I wasn't that into it but i was trying oh my god good smoothie thank you i'm experimenting with agave it's just sometimes i'm like yeah i want to fuck my husband and sometimes i'm just trying to stave off becoming one of those couples that never does it i don't want to end up in a floral nightgown down to my toes like a flannel chastity belt you know jake come on come on Like you never thought about what movie we should watch later while you're going down on me. No. Keep in mind, we have been together for 10 years and I have a very good angle of your face. Keep in mind, we've been together for 10 years and I have a good view of your face from that angle. 
mostly about what to make for dinner. <laughs> okay. Mm. Like we're not going to become one of those couples. Oh yeah. How do you know? Jake grabs Rachel and kisses her aggressively. Rachel breaks away, grinning. I might need some more convincing. We cut to a city street. Rachel and her best friend, Daisy, steel spine under a cheerleader exterior, walk with coffees and workout clothes. We got to stop going to that spin class. The instructor talks like we, as a class, are fucking him. Push it, yeah. push it, push it. Give it to me, give it to me, I need it. <laughs> you still cried though. Well, it's all the endorphins and and you know me, crying is the O'Hare airport of my emotions. Happy, sad, mad, it all passes through there. <laughs> hey, what are you doing Saturday? You wanna get drunk and go to the movies? Oh, I wish, but we're hanging out with Levi. Mm, how is the perfect brother-in-law? He and George are training for the marathon together. Gross. They're gallant and we're goofus. Jake swears they're not judging me, but it's his brother. He can't see it. Drives me nuts. I don't know. <sighs> Things with me and Jake are weird lately. Weird like right before he proposed or weird like the first time he heard you fart? Just off he's so busy with work we barely see each other and then when we do we're always fighting listen relationships are hard you know sometimes miles and i have Daisy. times where miles is a christian saint you two call each other my love in casual conversation come on yeah and sometimes i still think i'm gonna murder him if he opens his mouth one more time okay <sighs> Jake is a good guy, and you two are perfect for each other. You'll be fine. This is just a rough patch. Ugh, I know, but it's just the fucking worst. Like, worse than sexual spin teachers. Get low. Ass back. <laughs> a mom waiting at the light with her toddler shoots Rachel and Daisy a dirty <laughs> look. Relax. It's just cardio. <laughs> And it's night. Rachel has a microphone and she's addressing a small crowd at Gibraltar, a local craft brewery where she works as the marketing director. Welcome to Gibraltar Brewery's first speed dating event. Everyone gets a new date and a new pour of beer every three minutes. Drink, date, enjoy. Rachel steps back to the sideline next to the brew pub's manager, Emmett, 35, a charming, benign narcissist. So uh, you think they're all going to find love? <laughs> I think they're going to buy lots of beer. <laughs> so cynical. You know, <laughs> I, I always expect you as so romantic type. You're right. Pounding beers with sweaty drunks is a recipe for true love. Well, you're telling me that if you met me at one of those things, you, you would not like me? How could I? We'd probably just have drunk sex. Hmm. Okay, uh, time for the next beer. It's later. Rachel and Emmett wipe down the bar. Rachel is half-assing it. <laughs> You are uh, not great at this. Hot tip. If you're bad at cleaning, no one makes you do it. It is the lowest stake scam. <laughs> well, you know, traditionally scamming involves not telling your secrets. <laughs> Rachel playfully flicks her rag at Emmett. Emmett does the same. Rachel moves to do it again, but Emmett grabs her wrist, stopping her. It's a charged moment, and then... <sighs> Fuck it. Ugh. 
Emmett kisses Rachel. She kisses him back before. Wait, I, wait, I can't do this. I'm, I'm married. Oh, oh right. Uh, Jeb or whatever. It's Jake. And you know that. Don't be a dick. Um, I got to go. Later, Rachel walks into her dark house. Jake? No response. Rachel pulls out her phone and dials Jake. He answers in his fancy lawyer office. Hello? Hey, where are you? Um, I got called in on this Lewis brief, but uh, I'm coming home soon. Like, okay. definitely within the next hour. Okay, definitely before midnight. How is the speed dating? Fine. You sure? Because <laughs> you're, you're doing that boy soprano thing you do when you lie. No, uh, totally fine. <laughs> nothing to report. Nothing unusual. Um, okay. Okay. Listen, I'll be home. Emmett, kiss me. And I broke it off right away, but I, I just wanted to tell you so that it's not like a secret or anything. Okay. Hello? He kissed you? I knew that that guy had a thing for you. The guy's an asshole. I know, I know, I know. But I, I swear it was nothing. Are you... Are you mad? Well, I'm not happy. Right. Let's just talk about it when I get home, okay? Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'll wait up. Hello? Hey, you're cutting out. Listen, I, I, I'll leave as soon as I can. I love you. And we go to Daisy's apartment. Daisy and her boyfriend, Miles, 34, looks like an extra on Sons of Anarchy, but is actually a sweet nerd who works at NPR. They snuggle in bed watching TV. Oh, no way do they buy that house. It's too nice. They never buy the nice house. House number one all the way. Uh, were you even listening? It's house uh, number three uh, for show. House number one doesn't have the man cave or the updated kitchen. Okay, because when a dude is too into a man cave, I always think he's going to use it as a murder basement. That's why I love you. Phone. Oh, sorry. Hello? I'm having a crisis. Once again, do not get bangs. I still think I could pull them off, but that's actually not it. Emmett, uh, Emmett kissed me. Your work husband made a real move on you? Uh, so fucking rude. I know, right? And, and, and I told Jake, and now he's mad, and I'm not that girl. I don't cheat on my husband. Oh, of, of course you're not. Don't freak out. It was just a kiss, right? Right. I mean, that's barely even cheating. Hey! Oh, calm down. I'm going to double down. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to book us a trip to Hawaii and we'll lie on the beach and drink and have sex and maybe we'll make a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. House number three. Are you kidding me? That sounds like a great idea. You're fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. OK, but what if the bangs were sort of like long and choppy? No, I'm hanging no? up. OK. I told you, babe, he needs that murder basement. And we go to Rachel and Jake's house later. Rachel's asleep in the living room, a book open on her stomach. Her doorbell rings. It's three in the morning. The doorbell rings again. Rachel approaches the door, gets nervous, grabs a knife and holds it behind her back. Two police officers are at the door. Rachel drops the knife. 
uh, Rachel Simon. I, I don't. I don't have the knife because I, I was going to murder you. I thought maybe you might be the murderer. It, it's fine, Miss Simon. Your husband uh, has been arrested. Oh my god. Oh my god. Is it? Is he a white collar criminal? I'm sure if his law firm is doing something shady, he doesn't know. He's honestly such a goody two shoes. He won't even do a rolling stop. Not. Not. Not that I do rolling stops. I am a law abiding citizen, like fully. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, Miss Simon, your husband suffered a sudden aneurysm on his way out of his office. Oh my God. W where is he? Is he okay? Miss Simon, your, your husband is dead. Okay, okay. You guys can cut to the chase. You're clearly strippers. Did Daisy send you? Oh my God, weird choice to do that tonight, but okay. Ma'am, we're not strippers. Your, your husband is dead. No, you're mistaken. I, I spoke to him earlier. He's going to be home any minute, so... I'm so sorry. Yeah. The officers keep talking, but everything goes silent. Rachel is in utter shock. It's later, and we're at Rachel and Jake's house. Rachel steps out of her car, followed by her mother, Wendy. 60, big-hearted, but self-absorbed. Bug, if you need to cry, don't hold back on my account. I'm fine, Mom. Are you sure? Because I've seen you sob at insurance commercials. A taxi pulls up and Jake's mom, Hannah, 65, a veritable ninja of passive aggression, steps out. Sobbing, she launches herself into Rachel's arms. Hi, Hannah. My son's dead. He's dead. I know. I'm so sorry. Hannah's still holding Rachel and crying. Wendy awkwardly hugs both of them. Rachel looks like this is her waking nightmare. We go to the cemetery. Stay. I think this is a good plot. He'd like all the trees. Rachel, you know I'd be happy to pay for the funeral. As would I, Bug. It would be no trouble. It really wouldn't be any trouble for me. You know, I'm very comfortable. Not on a fixed income. My income may be limited, sweetie, but I can always help you with the important things. Thank you both. Um, but there's a little money from Jake's 401k, so it's fine. Well, I just hope the funeral doesn't turn out like the wedding where that man got so drunk. That man, Wendy, was my late husband. And he was just a vibrant personality, wasn't he? Though, if you're interested, my sponsor also does a wonderful group for families of alcoholics. What's that supposed to mean? I think it was clear. Wow. All this bickering feels like planning the wedding all over again, huh? <laughs> that was a joke because you guys argued a lot before the wedding, remember? And we go to a flashback. We're in a banquet hall in 2012. A slightly younger Rachel, Jake, Wendy, and Hannah look at rental chairs. It's shivari chairs or nothing as far as I'm concerned. 
Jake, your cousin had the most beautiful chairs. And I just... <laughs> oh, God forbid your, your perfect family should have to put their perfect bottoms on plastic chairs. Um, do you care about this at all? Oh, I'm just here for the cake tasting. <laughs> and we go back to the present at the cemetery. Hannah and Wendy are still looking at Rachel in horror. Okay, then. Ugh, you know that I can stay in Boston for as long as you need me to. Right, it's fine. It's fine. You can, you can go home after the funeral. Well, we can just decide that later. No, we can just decide it now. Wendy, do you have a home? Uh. And we go to Rachel's living room. It's day. Rachel's house looks like a command center. Rachel and Hannah are each on their phones with legal pads full of names of people to notify. Eric. Hi, uh, it's Rachel Simon, Jake's wife. Um, I'm calling to let you know that Jake passed away. Uh, there's a funeral tomorrow. Aneurysm. Uh, no, we, we had no idea. Honestly, I'm not sure a paleo diet would have helped. Yeah, no, um, same thing with yoga. Uh, As Rachel wraps up, Wendy tidies. She picks up a pair of Jake's shoes. Don't move those. Uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to. Just don't, just uh, don't move his stuff. Honey, he's not coming back. <laughs> Rebecca? <laughs> Here. Hi, um, Rebecca, this is Rachel, Jake's wife. Jake passed away. Rachel, Rachel Simon, your, your, your cousin's son's wife. We met at my wedding. No, Levi's the gay one. I'm married to Jake. I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a woman. <laughs> and there's a knock on the door. Rachel answers to reveal Jake's older brother, Levi, 38, self-superior, but to be fair, everything he does is perfect. And his husband, George, 35, a low-key lush. They're carrying a Trader Joe's worth of food. Levi, I'm so sorry. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm holding up. Um, your mom, less so? <laughs> yeah. Hi, George. I brought drinks. And we go to the living room later. What were his last words? To me, um, you're cutting out. Listen, I'll try to leave soon. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> George, babe, should you really be drinking scotch at 1 p.m.? Well, the mood felt too somber for mimosas. Ugh, I can't believe all the people who are posting on Facebook about Jake. It's like they're competing in the Grief Olympics. Jake was the best man I know. That's a college friend he hasn't talked to in 10 years. R.I.P. Jake. I'll always remember the great times we had. That one was from our dry cleaner. Oh, my God. What the fuck is this? On Rachel's computer, we see that someone has posted a photoshopped collage of Jake in heaven, surrounded by Marilyn Monroe, Tupac, and David Bowie. Oh, I think that's just wonderful. None of those people really knew him. You, you can't tell people how to grieve. None of them are grieving. At worst, they're mildly bummed out, but 
they just want people to press like it's 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 disrespectful is what it is it's disrespectful to the people who are really grieving they don't know anything about that do you need to have a cry it's okay to be upset mom do you see me tearing up there's a knock at the door rachel opens it to reveal daisy and miles how are you i'm fine how's the public radio basketball league great i mean fresh air is killing it i'm sorry i did not mean to say miles it's fine we can say killing it the terrorists if we can't say killing it the terrorists will have one the terrorists in this case being my husband's aneurysm hey can i dispatch you to design a funeral program yes yes that sounds perfect how are no 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 not you too daisy i cannot right now listen i need you to help me figure out what to wear tomorrow right now yeah turns out jake was the one who ran interference with our moms and if i don't get out of here soon i'm going to murder both jake's mother and mine and it will be a triple funeral too soon we go to rachel's bedroom rachel's slumped on the bed daisy holds up a dress that makes me look like a middle school latin teacher i want to look hot i'm sorry is this your husband's funeral or your super sweet 16. i just want to look so good that people will look at me with confusion instead of pity. Listen, do you want to talk like about your feelings? Honestly, I don't have any feelings right now. I'm just numb. You sure? Because I've seen you cry because you saw an old couple and they just seemed really in love. I keep trying, but all I can think about is the dumbest stuff. Like, Jake's my ex-husband now. I have an ex-husband. I feel like a real housewife. Hopefully, Dorinda. Okay, then. Daisy holds up another dress. There's literally not a woman alive who looks good in a calf-length dress. Oh, now you tell me. And it's evening. Everyone is sitting together planning the funeral. This discussion has clearly been going on a while, and tempers are frayed. All I'm saying is that Jake was Jewish, and the service should reflect that. Understood, and that's fine, but Jake also hadn't practiced for like 15 years? No, he goes to high holidays every year, he told me. Oh, Hannah. I was actually thinking I'd love to read a poem, keeping things whole. Why? Well, it's my favorite. Right, but what does it have to do with Jake? You're already doing the eulogy. So I can't do both? I don't think I don't... there should be secular readings. I just feel like it should be about Jake. It's his funeral. What did he want? Uh, well... We flash back to 2014. Rachel and Jake are companionably sitting on the couch, legs tangled together. Rachel's on her laptop. Jake is reading the paper. Did you know that My Way is the number one most played songs at funerals? It's gross. When I die, I want something awesome. Eye of the Tiger? No, no, no. Something funereal, but like baller. I'm going to keep it funereal. Ew. Like, like good life. Okay, I'm going to ignore funereal and focus on Kanye here. Why? It's a... It's about the good life, you know, and that's, and that's what I'll have had. Like we always do at this time, I go for mine, I gots to shine. No, absolutely not. Now that's a deathbed wish. 
So you have to do it. <laughs> you are such an idiot. She kisses him and we come back to the present. We're in the funeral chapel. Dozens of mourners are seated. The rabbi nods and Kanye West's good life plays. The mourners are a little confused. In the front row, Rachel, looking actually pretty hot in a well-cut black dress, tries to keep it together. <laughs> you asshole. The rabbi hears I, this and shoots her a sharp look. I didn't mean, um, it's, it's just because, never mind. Good life keeps playing as we montage through the rest of the funeral. The rabbi speaks on stage. Everyone bows their heads to pray. After a moment, Rachel raises hers, looks around, just totally lost. We cut to Levi delivering his eulogy. And then to Rachel greeting mourners in the weird post-funeral receiving line. At the cemetery, Rachel tosses a shovel full of dirt into the grave, her face betraying nothing. And now it's evening and we're at Gibraltar Brewery. Many of the mourners are there for the reception. Rachel is at the bar eating a cookie. Kummerspeck. Mm. What? Kummerspeck. It's a German word for emotional eating, translates to grief bacon. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for letting me host the reception here. Hey, hey, please, please. It's the least we could do. <sighs> Listen, should we talk about... The other uh, night? Yeah. Neither the time nor the place. Got it. Uh, you want a drink? Double whiskey. Bug, are you sure that's a good idea? The cure for grief isn't at the bottom of the bottle. Can you spare me the recovery speak? I'm... I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a grown adult with a dead husband. And if I want a drink, I can have one. Wendy makes a big show of physically biting her tongue. What time's your flight tomorrow? I've actually decided to stay for a while. Oh, no, you don't. You don't. You don't have to. Um, just just for a few weeks or months. Uh, I got an Airbnb near the Dedimal. Rachel forces a smile and downs her drink. She signals for another one. It's later. The mourners have thinned out. You know, you know you're still family, right? Really? Can I be honest? I always thought you didn't like me. <laughs> I like you. Oh. I, I, I mean, your family. Uh, I still want to do those Thursday night dinners. Thank you. That's so nice. Maybe I can even host sometime. Oh, honey. No. Ugh, okay. And it's even later. Just can't believe he's gone. It just makes you think. Yeah. Fucking YOLO, right? Yes. Yes. I think I'm going to propose to Daisy. Wow. Yeah. Will you help me find a ring? You know what, Miles? Yes, but maybe we could talk about this at literally anywhere besides my husband's funeral. Rachel signals for another drink. It's even later, and Rachel is definitely drunk. It just feels like I'm watching all this happen to someone else. Like, it's just a movie that I wouldn't see because it's too depressing. Yeah, I know. That's how I felt when my mom died. Eventually, you'll figure out how to get back into your body. Rachel nods. She notices Emmett behind the bar. 
It's now even later, the latest. The reception has totally wound down. The only people left are Daisy, Miles, and Rachel. Emmett's behind the bar. And Jake just looked at the cat and screamed. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I have to be up in three hours. We should go. Um, Rachel, can we drive you home? I think I'm going to help Emmett close up here and I'll take an Uber. You sure? Yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. Ah, I'm fine. Still numb. Novocaine status. <sighs> I promise you'll call if you need anything. I promise, but I won't because I'm fine. Can I help? Nah, I'm pretty much done. Uh, you didn't have to stay. I know. <laughs> Listen, can we talk about the other night? I don't want to talk about it. As a matter of fact, I don't want to talk at all. That's your cue to kiss me, dumbass. Rachel. What? I don't know if that's the best idea. It is. It is. It is literally the best idea. Listen, I want you to fuck me. I want to feel, um, I want to feel, I want to get back into my body and think about something besides what happened today for 30 goddamn minutes. Do you think you can do that? 30 minutes? I mean, ballpark. <laughs> Rachel and Emmett mm. kiss their way into the brewery's back room. It's real hot and heavy. Do you have a condom? Yeah, of course. Cool, because I don't, because I don't think I've used a condom for like 10 years. Oh, does that mean I don't have to? No, you absolutely do. I don't want whatever gross places your dick has been. Ooh, A plus dirty talk there. Shut Ooh. up. Oh. And it's later. It's immediately post-sex. Oh. Rachel and Emmett are collapsed onto the floor. Rachel looks stunned. That... <sighs> That was great. <laughs> I guess not for you. <laughs> He's dead. Jake's dead. My husband is dead. Oh, oh, oh okay. It's, it's, it's okay. You're okay. <laughs> Emmett awkwardly pats Rachel's shoulder. I should go. No, stay. I can't. I shouldn't have. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. And we cut to an Uber. Rachel silently cries in the car. Hey, so did you have fun last night? This night? <laughs> nope. Oh, oh, that's too bad. What happened? My husband died and um, I fucked someone at the funeral. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on the radio. How's that? And Let's Stay Together by Al Green comes on. We flash back to 2012. Let's Stay Together plays. Rachel and Jake do the first dance at their wedding. Everybody's staring at us. I know. I wish we'd sprung for the dance lessons. What? No, no. Seventh grade sway forever. <laughs> you make me feel so brand new. Oh. And I want to spend my life with you. Uh -huh. oh. Voice babe, but uh, you put a ring on it. I love it. I love you. I love you. Rachel and Jake kiss, blissful. 
Go back to the present. We're exterior Daisy and Miles' apartment. It's night. Rachel knocks on the door. Daisy, sleepy and in pajamas, answers. I fucked up. I just had sex with Emmett and Jake and I were in a fight before he died. So now we're just in a fight forever. And, and, and Jake's dead. He's dead. As Rachel cries, Daisy pulls her in for a hug. Rachel follows Daisy into the bedroom. Miles stirs awake, sees Rachel and wordlessly grabs his pillow, kisses Daisy and goes to sleep in the living room. Rachel lays down on the bed. She rests her head on Daisy's shoulder. This sucks. This fucking sucks. My husband's dead and I miss him and I'm never going to see him again or, or get to tell him when there's a new restaurant in our neighborhood or an onion article that he would have loved. Fuck, I don't know the Wi-Fi password or, or how I'm going to afford our mortgage. And oh, my God, am I going to have to date again? I, I can't I can't date. I'm married. What the fuck am I going to do? You're going to start over. I'll be here. You'll be okay. Eventually. Wait, you fucked Emmett? Ugh, yes. How was it? Ugh, great. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> and as they laugh through tears, we fade to black. End of episode. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I am here with Lila Cohan Michio. Um, and thank you for letting us read your great script, Widow. And I have to nervously ask, because I don't know, uh, how autobiographical is this pilot? It is not autobiographical. I have thankfully not lost a spouse, um, but I have been married for about 10 years and I'm a deeply neurotic person. So there's part of me where every time we fight, my head goes to, what if he died? And that was the last conversation you had. Um, so it was really, and once I had that thought, the whole pilot kind of sprung into place for me. Um, so I think there's also like other losses and grief that, I, that have sort of factored into the writing, but not that particular one. Okay. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, I was nervous. I was nervous. About that. <laughs> um, but it, so you were just doing what a writer is supposed to do, right? You, yeah. you were imagining a situation yes. uh, that's, uh, and, and so well imagined. So, so you have this, some, you know, th this idea that has a bit of darkness to it. How uh, difficult was it to get people on board um, and where did you pitch it? Where did you sell it? And, you know, to talk to me about the, the process once you had that idea. So this has been a long process. Um, I 
had this idea in 2014, I believe. Um, and I sort of wrote a pitch, I think, and pitched it. No, I think I just wrote the script. I think I was like, this is going to be a hard tone to nail. Let me just write it. So I wrote the script, sent it to my agent at the time and my manager. And they were like, I don't know about this. Uh, <laughs> they were, uh, just felt like the character was very difficult and unlikable. Um, and, you know, I did some sort of passes to like soften things a little bit, um, but I didn't want to get rid of sort of the teeth of it. Uh, Cause to me, that's a lot what the pilot is about. Um, and I think we wound up sending it out. God, it's gone through several phases. I think we wound up sending out the script no, to a couple people. No one really bit. And then I was also, also at this point, I was a story editor. So I was like a tiny baby writer. Um, and then I rewrote, I wrote a pitch based off of it. Went to a couple places. Again, no one bit. Uh, this is a story about failure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a podcast and, about failure. Great. Uh, and then um, I wound up my agent was also at this point using it as a step as a sample for staffing um since it was like a lot more dark and cable than my other sample um and uh tracy katsky uh read it as a sample for santa clarita diet which i worked on for a season uh but also was like i want to produce this and then through that i wound up going in coming in with capital um so with Aaron Kaplan and Dana Honor, who really wound up taking sort of the lead on this, um, we went out at this point now, it is early 2017. Um, we, uh, I was pregnant with my son. Um, we went out, we went everywhere. We went to, um, you know, did we go to Netflix? Maybe not, but we went to like HBO, Hulu, Lifetime. Uh, and you're showing them, you're just pitching or, sorry, so you're, you're just This pitching? was a pitch, yeah. So I was just pitching. Um, and uh, TV Land, I feel like half these networks don't exist anymore, TBS. Um, and Freeform and again, no one bit. Uh, and then my agent at the time, had the idea to basically be like, well, let's just say, tell them you were so passionate, you couldn't not write the script and then wait a month and send them the script <laughs> that you wrote in 2014. So we wound up doing that. Um, and uh, that script went out. And finally, at this point, uh, YouTube read uh, was read it and loved it. We added a few places I hadn't pitched with the script. Um, but YouTube read, read it and loved it. They wanted me to come in and pitch the season, which I did truly at uh, six weeks postpartum, uh, yeah. literally pumping in their open air parking lot right beforehand, uh, had been up pretty much all night and was just like on full autopilot delivering my series pitch. Uh, but they bought it and ordered a pilot, uh, which then never got made. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And this was now like 2018. 
This was tw- late 2017. Late 2017. Yeah. So from this point of me writing the pilot to it getting bought was three and a half years. That's a great story of perseverance. It's, yes. It's, you know, I know it doesn't have the total happy ending, but still, no. you, you did, you sold it. Yes. Um, and they, so, okay. So they told you, great, we're going to shoot a pilot. And then that just sort of w- went away. So yeah, what happened uh, was, uh, and I've never talked about this publicly before. So this is, you know. Uh, this is the forum for people telling these, these stories. <laughs> we all have them. It's okay. Um, so they ordered it to pilot. Um, it was announced in deadline. Uh, and we moved towards production. So I went to Vancouver for a location scout. We hired um, a director. We hired department heads. We did months of casting. Um, we didn't have a lead yet, but we had like screen tests scheduled for our other uh, series regulars. And then uh, the president of YouTube Red said she didn't know this was happening uh, and refused to move forward without a movie star in the lead role. Okay. So the only name she mentioned start to finish was Brie Larson. (laughs) Okay. The easy get. Um, An easy get for a YouTube Red pilot. (laughs) (laughs) so it kind of just stopped the whole thing um we went back and forth we came fairly close actually with like a number of people who i think would have been good like uh but ultimately we were never able to agree on someone that uh would do it basically wow so it was it's crushing. It had to. I mean, you're so yeah. close. It was so, I mean, truly, this was about three weeks out from the start of production. Like, I was getting ready to go to Vancouver. Uh, and so, just really poor organization, like bureaucratic yeah. organization there that the president was not aware, or is this just, who knows? I don't know on. what happened. Like, it, it all seems weird to me, um, is what I will say. Uh, but I mean, it was in deadline, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I know you would think that that would uh, uh, have come across her desk. Um, and look, a cast contingent pilot's not such an out of the ordinary sure. thing. It could have been that from the beginning, but the fact yes, is, it and that wasn't was her that. argument was that it always been cast contingent, but that was never communicated to anyone on right. my side. And also, by the way, YouTube had written a series of checks to start production. So, um it really was the strange things then it lingered in this like half alive state for like probably two months um two or three months and then finally two months of just sort of scrambling to find uh, scrambling sending names i mean i think i checked the name of every available actress between like 28 and 35 um and it was uh i don't want to name any names because god forbid anyone ever hears this i don't want to feel make them feel bad but like (laughs) people who i think would have been very exciting in the role um were just hard nose uh and people with like hard nose from youtube you mean from youtube Yeah. yeah um so you know um it was a crazy, it was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me professionally. Um, but it was like, it was fun to show run for, you know, eight weeks of pre-production. Yeah. Um, it was 
a good learning experience. And I think, you know, right now I'm working on taking out a pitch and we're working on attaching an actress. And I, it's a pitch that I really, really love and feel passionately about in the way that I did with Widow. And I have been like, oh, we are going out with someone. Like, I am not going to do this again. <laughs> we are coming in with a package so strong that like, and have you, have you, have you, attached, have you attached someone? someone? Um, no, I, that's what my practice pitch is for after this. Uh, I have a star meeting next week, uh, so uh, we'll see. Um, but it's, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy experience. experience. But yeah, I think, it, does this interview air before or after the read in the podcast? After, it'll air after, after the read. Okay. So I'm sorry, I'm hearing an echo. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on one second. Do you hear it? And now no. it's gone. Now it's gone. Okay. okay. Um, it'll was, be okay. So there's no spoiler. You know, don't worry about spoilers because this will be after great. the read. I think um, what turned off a lot of people buyer-wise um, was Rachel fucking Emmett. Like that was really like a hard line for a lot of people. Uh, and to me, that was sort of what the pilot was about, was about like how when you're in the midst of grief, you make these absolutely terrible, insane choices um, because you're just scrambling. Uh, and um, the note I got from a lot of people was just like, uh, I don't like her because of that. Yeah, it's so funny because I love that. I love that choice. I felt like it's just such a strong, bold choice. It feels it feels real for the character in that moment. Um, and it does seem to me, if you're talking about cable streaming lead you know female leads it's just like there's now plenty of precedent for very quote unquote unlikable female leads this is why you do cable streaming and not network where your female characters aren't allowed to do anything at all you know <laughs> outside yeah. of the norm um but totally i think i think it seems crazy to say because it was so recently but I do think like even the few years has changed things a little bit. Um, and I think also like my secret theory has always been that like uh, male readers, uh, not all obviously, but some have been really turned off from her giving an unenthusiastic blowjob at the beginning. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think they don't come in on her side. <laughs> um, I had some questions about camera angles and how you're going to shoot it, but I, was, I you know, it didn't. Uh, I had a lot of questions about that too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think those were all sort of tricky things. Uh, and then there also the other factor was um, there was a competing pilot. Uh, sorry for your loss at um, Facebook. So I think that didn't help matters. This was before Dead to Me really went into development, uh, which I think actually is a lot tonally closer than sorry for your loss. But um, so that was a factor too, I think, uh, was that that pilot was always slightly ahead of us. And they are obviously thematically similar. Right. There's almost always, it seems, going to be something out there right. <laughs> that is similar. Exactly. It's just the more we, we do this show and hear these stories, it's just uncanny how you know, totally coincidentally, people have the same idea 
at the same time. And I've just become convinced it should never stop you from doing something because you never know. And it right. just happens so frequently that you just, if you love an idea and you there's something, so, you know, who knows which one of those will go forward, but it's totally. incredible how often, how often it happens. Um, okay. So let's back up a little bit and um, talk about how you just got your start as a writer. Totally. Um, so I uh, graduated college. I went to, uh, let me back up. Uh, this is like my short life story. I went to a performing arts high school, studied theater, realized I did not want to be an actor. Um, and then totally switched, uh, majored in government in college, applied to law school and woke up one night my senior year being like, oh my God, I'm going to be miserable if I do this. Uh, I have to do something in the arts. Um, and so I moved to New York, which seemed like a good start, had a lot of weird jobs. I was a nanny. I was a food blogger. Um, I did freelance PR. Uh, and in all the midst of this, I went to a improv show at the Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's right. I loved doing improv when I was in high school. That was the one thing in theater that I like truly, truly loved. So I took an improv class at UCB and it was fun. And then I took a sketch writing class and it was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. This is it. This is what I want to be doing. And in retrospect, the signs were there. Like I wrote a play about a squirrel and made <laughs> my mom let me put it on at her birthday party when I was four. Um, <laughs> I used to write little like what I now recognize as comedy sketches about my friends in middle school. Um, but I never thought of TV writing as something that someone like me could do. Um, and I started taking sketch at UCB and then it kind of took over my world. So I was on a bunch of the house sketch teams there. I taught sketch. Um, I had a web series that I co-wrote with my friend Caitlin Bitsagai uh, called Badge Magazine that had a lot of fun stars from the theater, including Kate McKinnon. Um, and uh, I had a couple different shows run at the theater and sort of through all that, I got a very bad manager. <laughs> um, and he, the one thing he did do was he, uh, Basically, I now I later learned Cole called my first agent uh, and was like, listen, I have the script. You got to read it. You got to read it. And finally, he wore down the agent uh, and it was like right after staffing season was basically wrapped up. And um, the agent was like, OK, uh, I'll take a read, read it uh, and was like, I got a call. I was literally at my nannying job and I got a call from my manager that was like, hey, this guy at ICM wants to sign you and you have a showrunner meeting in an hour. Um, Incredible. It was insane. Truly like very rare. You can point to a day and be like, oh, that's the day my life changed. Uh, but it was. And I will say, shout out to Felix, that baby I was nap I was uh, nannying for who took a three-hour nap that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the showrunner meeting was for uh, Next Caller, an NBC show that was canceled. Okay. Before Dane, it aired. Dane Cook, right? Dane Cook was the star. And Stephen Falk, who later did You're the Worst, was the showrunner. And, you know, it was after Memorial Day. So it was like well after network staffing season is usually pretty much done. But Stephen was having a little bit of a hard time finding writers because it was in New York, which was where I was living. Uh, and he was specifically looking for lower level female writers. And we hit it off and I got the job, which gave me a very incorrect 
Uh, <laughs> I give how easy so this is. How easy it would be to get jobs moving forward. <laughs> um, but that was, so that was my first job. Um, and when that got canceled, uh, I knew I wouldn't really find anything else in New York. Um, so, and you made I, you made how many of those that never aired? We made. We were about to start shooting five. Uh, so we had there was the pilot and then three more. We had a very weird seven episode order. Um, and it's so funny because we had taken a hiatus week uh, and they had sent out like a consultant. It was a whole thing. And we were waiting on notes for a bunch of episodes. So Stephen had actually given us the day off. It was Friday. And I was like, oh, I'll go to UCB. I haven't been since I've been working because we were working insane hours on that show. And I was walking through Chelsea and I ran into one of the actors from the show and he was like, is everything okay? We're so worried because we took that hiatus beat. And I was like, it's fine. Like, the sense insulted. He thinks we're doing a great job. It's all going to be fine. And I walked like one block later in my phone, right? It's like, hey, um, we've been canceled. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I mean, between that and Widow, I really am operating under the theory that like, my first pancake doesn't turn out well, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, These are the kind of stories that make your friends and relatives who are not in show business just so confused. You know, it's yeah. just so hard to understand. Yeah, I got this job on the show. We're making it. It's just like, wait, what? They spent all that money. They're not even going to air the episodes. And yeah, that just happens sometimes. It's truly just like billions of dollars every year are spent <laughs> yeah. by networks on things that will not move forward. Like, Widow, they had to pay everybody out who they had hired. Um, it was wild. <laughs> um, so, uh, what was I going to say? So yeah, so that was sort of my first staffing experience. Uh, and because it was my first, I didn't realize how weird it was. Um, and so then I sold a pilot to, uh, what was then ABC family. Um, and that sort of like, paid for me in light, made it a little easier to move out to LA. Um, and yeah, that's how I got my start. Very strange. Okay. So you, but selling a pilot at that point is unusual too. I mean, you'd, yeah. you'd had a staff writer job on a show that didn't air and then you were able to sell a pilot, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I am. Um, it was my sample actually, uh, that like when my agent signed me, he was like, I'm going to, sell this sample. Uh, and so right after Next Caller finished, I came out to LA for like two weeks and I think had like 20 meetings. Like it was truly like one of those insane, like first time tours uh, and wound up with like a few interested parties and uh, but most of them wanted to like attach and then maybe take it to networks. Uh, and then our ABC family is like, well, bye. I was like, great. Uh, <laughs> and sold it for, you know, an amount of money that seemed insane at the time. And now I'm like, oh, that was a bad deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was very, very grateful. And it was a fun experience. Um, and forward. And then um, some more staff more so staff awkward was was awkward the next show yeah i was on awkward for two seasons um which was very fun and great like story boot camp um where you know 
we MTV is so cheap. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I can say that publicly. Yeah, I think that's pretty <laughs> well known. Um, and uh, we did, I think, season five. We did a twenty-two week room for twenty-four episodes. Oh. Um, so it was really like a machine, and it was. I think I came into it. I always say, like, I think I came into it a talented writer, and I left a good writer. Um, because I came in and was like, all right, this is like my, um, like I have like good instincts and voice, but like, I don't really understand story. And I left being like, oh, this is what story is. (laughs) Yeah. Breaking breaking 24 episodes that fast will teach you about story. Crazy. And it's also like, I was really lucky. Like I truly, this sounds wild to say, but like, I have lifelong friends from that room. Um, I talk to people from that room like every day. Uh, so that was really, really nice. I did a season on telenovela on NBC, um, which was so fun. Just a stacked room uh, of the nicest people, a huge 14 people in that room. Um, but everyone was lovely uh, and everyone was good. Uh, and it was really fun um, making something that, four people saw um <laughs> and then i did a season on santa clarita diet uh took some time off had my son um dealt with widow uh and then <laughs> um i was on a first wives club with tracy oliver over at bt plus um the first season of bridgerton which is coming out on christmas on netflix tell, uh, us, tell us about that what's that it is a shondaland show it's her first for netflix um and it's sort of a feminist take on regency late jane austen era romance uh, it's okay. based on a series of best-selling romance novels which i also highly recommend they are very fun reads <laughs> um but i think it's gonna be really fun i haven't seen any of the episodes so i'm just hoping, but uh, it's gorgeous. The actors are great. Uh, and it's just a really, really fun world. It's like Regency Gossip Girl. Uh, and that was the first hour long I've ever worked on. So that was also like a very different experience. Uh, and while I was doing that, I wrote um, a pilot for, I think, the second of several attempts to reboot noted one season show GCB for the CW. Um, <laughs> uh, I think good, that, good, good Christian bitches for good Christian those bitches. Of you might not be familiar. Yes, I think I was the second of three pilots they've commissioned for that. Um, and that was a wild ride because um, I sold it and I. For the listeners, I cannot recommend not doing this enough. I sold it right before (laughs) Thanksgiving, um, which for a network pilot is very, very, very late. (laughs) Um, So I wound up like writing, I think, six drafts in 12 days or something like that, like full kind of page oneers. And it was insane, which but it was also like, that was also a great learning experience. And while it was while I was on Bridgerton too. So it was a great, like, okay, I can do this. I would love not to uh, <laughs> ever do it again, <laughs> ever do it again. But like, yes, I can write <laughs> six traps in 12 days while I'm on a show with like 
normal hours, you know? <laughs> so that was its own experience. Uh, and then right before the pandemic, I finished up on season two of special for Netflix, which was a dream. Ryan O'Connell was in that awkward room with me. So he's one of the lifelong friends I mentioned earlier. Um, and when he got the show, when he found out season two, because season one was short form, 15 minutes. Uh, when he found out season two was to be half hour, he was like, hey, I want you to come. I'm going to actually have a room this year. I want you to come uh, right with me. So it was just five people. Everyone was so nice. Everyone was so good. It was a true, true dream. And I'm so happy with how the scripts turned out. So we'll see. And you finished um, before lockdown happened. The scripts were finished and the first yes. four episodes were finished. They're shooting. They're very carefully shooting the second four now. Um, but I think hopefully that'll be out in the spring, maybe. Um, but I really, I'm super proud of it. Uh, so yeah, that's like, and then during this, so you've been working on a pitch for a pilot, but you have, have you been in a room during? No, I have not. Um, I've been, I, you know, my husband and I, my husband, uh, is a stay at home dad and writer, but he's a writer as well. Um, and we have a three-year-old. So I've kind of ideally wanted to stay out of a room partly so that like, we don't have to deal with like, I don't have to be like, you have to watch our kid all day, every day. Um, development is a much kinder schedule. What, um, I meant to ask this earlier. What was your husband's reaction when he read widow? You know what? He's never read it. He's never read it. Is he going to, are you going to let him listen to this? You yeah. can't stop him. I was, I've offered out there. To let him read it. Um, he just has not wanted to read it. I think he like gets nervous. Like he's also, um, he's a critic, like he's written movie and music criticism. So I think sometimes he like worries that he's going to read stuff of mine with like a critical lens. Uh, so he's not like a first reader for you. You don't no. generally no. No. Uh, but sometimes he'll read stuff later on, but like, uh, he tends to, I think he responds more to a finished product. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. Like, I think when I was starting out, I definitely had more first readers. Um, so, you know, I was in, uh, Stephen Falk, my boss from Nets Caller, ran a writer's group for a while that I was in. And that's actually where I developed Widow. Um, I have another writer's group, uh, with like a couple of, uh, fellow like upper level lady writers. Um, but now, a bunch of us have kids and so it's been harder for us to meet. <laughs> and, uh, but I think now I'm kind of a little more confident to just like send something out, uh, or send it to my manager, uh, and sort of get his feedback. Um, yeah. How did that first writers group tell me a little bit about how that worked? It was great. We were, there were like, I want to say maybe 10 of us, but we weren't all, consistently there but we met every other week we would talk about our goals for the next meeting and then we would one or two people would have brought something to read or a pitch or something and we'd all give notes uh and it was a lot of great people steven obviously um jd risner who's a really talented writer uh um 
I'm forgetting everyone, Kelly Fullerton, who's great, who's on that scholar. Um, it was just a really nice room um, and really like very good notes. Um, That's great. So it's, I like yeah. having a writer's group. I think it is really helpful. Yeah. It's just like, I think as I also have gotten like more upper level, it's just more people being like, well, I'm in a room now and I like work till nine at night, every night, you know, um, it gets trickier to figure it out. Right. Um, so tell me about pitching now over zoom thoughts about how things have changed now that you're pitching on zoom instead of in a room. Totally. Well, it's funny cause I have two projects in development right now. Uh, one is sold already and I don't know if I'm not supposed to say anything about it. It's so all, keep vague, but I sold it at the beginning of the pandemic. And so that, but that was also a um, book that had already been optioned. So like the groundwork was kind of laid. So that I kind of just did a regular pitch for just on Zoom. Uh, and it was fine. It was still a little disconcerting, just not getting the reactions. Um, but then another project that I have not sold yet, but that I have producers attached and I'm taking out right now, um, that I started pitching at the end of August and that was a whole different <laughs> ballgame. Uh, Cause by that point, I think like, you know, that first pitch of been I'd sold it, but it was also like, I don't want this again. Um, like with that kind of like just me staring with my face on zoom. Um, so this pitch, I did a whole full PowerPoint, um, and it's, you know, walks through every step of the pitch. So it's like, there's a little like title card where I give my like opening that shows while I give my like opening spiel about like, you know, my personal connection and everything. And then it's a card for each character with like a picture of the actor prototype and then a background that somehow relates to them. Uh, and then for the pilot, I did scene by scene, just location photos. So I almost pitched it more like I was pitching to direct. Um, right. And uh, I got a template from Etsy uh, that was really helpful. <laughs> Let me just recommend that. Um, okay. I wanted it to have like a cohesive color story and I wanted it to feel like, again, I will probably not be directing this, but like, I wanted to still give that feeling of like, this is something that exists that you get sort of from a director pitch. Um, so that's actually been really, really helpful. I think the big thing about zoom pitches are one, like visual aids are a lot more necessary than, because people's mind wanders. And so it's good to have something new for them to look at every few minutes. Um, but also because people's mind wanders and they're just sitting in front of their computer, um, I think shorter is better. Uh, and I'm a huge over pitcher. Like I am notorious. <laughs> um, but Cause I want to tell you, like I really write from like a place of character. So I want to like go in on those characters, you know? And also like, I'm a writer who can't, even in pitch really write about a scene unless I know everything that happens in it. It's been a very long process for me to be like, okay, I need to know what she's doing while she says that, but no one else does at this stage. No, Can I tell you just, I struggle with this still so much. It's the same thing. It's just that you, you have it all. I have to have it all in my head, but then you can't, it, no one can follow that when you try and no. pitch someone and the story for an episode, people immediately are like, I don't know what's happening here. And yeah. then, 
But I always get frustrated when I, if I'm hearing a pitch and someone just tosses out something that's obviously just a shred of a notion and not a story, right. but that's sort of almost all you can take in. So it's so hard to, to find it's that spot. Tough because this pitch is a, a mystery element. Um, so it's, uh, I pitched the pilot and I just had to go extremely bare bones on the pilot. Um, and also like, you know, you're a comedy writer, like I want to put jokes in there. Like, and I really had to like peel back. I think I have one joke left in there and everything else is just like information you need to know to follow the story. And then the actual bulk of this pitch, like the last two to three pages are the mystery. Um, because I didn't want to go in and be like, and there's going to be twists and turns. Like, <laughs> Right. You, you want to know that you people know you've thought it through and that totally. you actually have. But then it's like the flip side too, where the last question, <laughs> it's like, but how will this turn exactly happen? And I'm like, I'm going to have a writer's room at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot. I don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. The trick, it's weird with jokes and pitches now too, because everyone's muted. You just, every joke feels like it's just landed flat. I mean, maybe yeah. you're looking out of the corner of your eye and see, oh, they're, they're laughing, but it still feels weird that you're just pitching into the silence of muted executives. Um, so strange. And it's also like, you know, there's on this project, I wound up pitching to a lot of producers I haven't really met before. A few I had, but if few I hadn't. And so there's also like the little mini general at the beginning where it's like five minutes of like <laughs> getting to know you. Uh, and that I found really does set the tone. Like there's some, I mean, it's dating, right? Like there's some people where I'm like, oh my God, I'm vibing. Like we could talk for like an hour before this pitch. Uh, and then there's some where I'm like, oh, do I really even have to do the pitch? Like, I already know this is not a match. Like, there's, I mean, there's, we've all been in pitches where like, you're at, pay, you're at like, you know, page one of a seven page pitch at the bottom and you're like, we just, we just yeah. yeah. <laughs> just I think we all have a sense this isn't going forward. Yeah. Us all <laughs> That's time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a great feeling. Um, all right. So one last question before we go. I am so curious to hear more about Vag Magazine. Um, uh, can, can we still see that? What is that? Tell me more about yes, it. It is still up and running. It's on a YouTube. Um, so Vag Magazine uh, is a web series I co-created and wrote with my friend Caitlin Bitsagai, who's a wonderful New York writer, um, in 2010. So it is, oh my gosh, it's probably 10 years old like <laughs> this week. Jesus. Um, where are the celebrations? Uh, I know. Where are the commemorative? Where are the commemorations? Um, it goes behind the scenes of a feminist third wave magazine. Okay. Um, and so it's very of its time, I will say. I think, uh, you know, it's not the landscape of those sorts of things has changed a lot um, in the past 10 years. Um, but it's very much a satire of like, you know, bust in like 2010. And it was just a true blast. It has, um, obviously Kate McKinnon from SNL, um, uh, Veronica Osorio, who is in Hail Caesar and who's a great actress, uh, Sarah Claspel, Jocelyn Guest, who's now a butcher and no longer in comedy, um, <laughs> is one of the funniest people. Um, tiny, tiny blink and you'll miss it cameo from, uh, 
Abby Jacobson uh, from Broad City, Nicole Dressel, uh, who is one of the funniest people in the world, uh, who was on Broad City and 30 Rock. Um, I'm forgetting people. I'm so sorry if I have forgotten anyone. Um, but it was one of the most fun things I've ever made in my life. We shot it in, it was six episodes of about five minutes each. We shot the first five episodes over two and a half days, um, which is something you can do when you're young and non-union. Um, <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, a hundred degrees. We were in this office. We had to turn off the AC for sound reasons. Um, so it was like this true light crucible <laughs> that the show came out of. Um, but it was really the most fun um, and just a lovely, lovely experience. And we got a lot of press when it came out, um, which was great. And then hilariously, like, it feels like every like two years, uh, a Kate McKinnon fan will rediscover it and it will like, resume in popularity like <laughs> like gifts um but it's super super fun um right, it was I'm gonna, dream. I'm gonna check it out and hopefully uh maybe this will spark some more people to to find it once again on its 10-year anniversary yes. yes it was really just um it was a blast and so you know i think when i was at ucb and a lot of people feel this early in their careers, like I was feeling frustrated that I was not making any money and spending money to do comedy. But I think what I really underrated was the artistic freedom um, and the ability to make this thing that Caitlin and I thought was funny that has truly the most like insane niche jokes about like season three of Dawson's Creek and certain Indigo Girls albums that no one would ever have let us make. <laughs> a world where we were getting paid um and it was just a treat and i wish i had like relished that time in my career a little more yeah it's so precious it's the best That's it the is time when you're just doing it for the love of it it's so, yeah so great um well this was great it was great to get to meet you i love the pilot thanks for letting us read it and helping us assemble that great cast thank you for reading it oh and I will just say one more thing. Uh, this is my only, <laughs> my only thing on the script that I feel like I need to uh, uh, apologize for in 2020. I had not seen the most recent season of Real Housewives when I made that Dorinda joke. Uh, <laughs> I do I, not think she would at this point hope that she's Dorinda. Okay. And I'm so out of it that I don't even know uh, <laughs> what that is all about. Um, but I hope the right people uh, that that has been retracted. Consider yeah. that Dorinda joke retracted. I would say Leah now. Um. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, well, cool, Lila. Uh, I know you've got a pitch coming up um, moment, momentarily. So break a leg. Thank you. And thank you so much. This has been truly a dream to finally hear it read. Uh, it made me so. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, I'm glad after that whole insane saga of coming so close, you got to hear it. Yes. It's a, you guys are doing a service. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it's all about for us. All right. Thanks so much, Lila. And that is our show for this month. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer, Noah Findling. 
follow us on social media. Uh, you'll see announcements for upcoming uh, episodes and uh, you know eventually that's where you'll find when our live shows are going to happen. So we're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. We're also on that other platform but i don't like to mention it okay everybody stay safe out there find a way to help someone be nice to yourself wear a mask and we will get through this